Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning and happy Murder in the News Monday that I'm going to try to release every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, looking at you, Jessica, and others. Thank you for submitting. Unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted, and I don't read the articles past the headlines so you and I can react together. So let's go. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So our first article I saved from last week, but it comes from CNN.com, and the title is Human Remains Discovered Inside Luggage Found on Property Outside of San Antonio. So local sheriffs are investigating after they discovered human remains inside luggage on a property in a rural area outside of San Antonio. The Bexar County Sheriff's Office received a call Thursday morning for a suspicious package at the property. People feeding animals while the property's owners were out of town had noticed the luggage in the middle of the property, Sheriff Javier Salazar said in a news conference. The sheriff's office began investigating and made the grisly discovery, according to Salazar. Quote, there wasn't really a whole lot of effort to hide the body other than it was inside of a suitcase, the sheriff said at the news conference. According to the sheriff, the identity and gender of the person whose remains were found is unclear. It's also unclear how long the remains were at the location. Quote, While the first inclination, of course, is to assume that it's a homicide scene, at this point, all we know is that we've got partial human remains out here and we won't be able to determine cause of death, manner of death, or the identity of the victim for some time, end quote. So that lets me think that they were probably super ripe. Ooh. He said the medical examiner and fire marshal would help process the scene. Salazar said the fire marshal would assist in assessing, quote, some areas of interest where there appeared to be efforts to burn. The sheriff noted that the burning may not be related to the discovered body, but that the fire marshal would investigate if there was any connection. Quote, we're getting a search warrant to finish processing the scene, and at that point, we may know a little bit more. But at this point, it's just too early to tell if the person was killed here or if they were brought here in that piece of luggage and then dumped here, he said. So according to the sheriff, the property owners are cooperating with the investigation. Interesting, interesting. Be curious to see how this plays out. And then our next article comes from abcnews.go.com. Title is Florida Babysitter Arrested Over Hot Car Death, Authorities Say. The hot car death happened amid a relentless heat wave. So a Florida babysitter is facing a manslaughter charge over the death of an infant who was accidentally left in a car 
four hours amid scorching temperatures, authorities said. Rhonda Jewell, 46, picked up a 10 month old baby girl from the mother's residence in McClenny, just west of Jacksonville, on Wednesday morning at approximately 8 a.m. Eastern, according to the Baker County Sheriff's Office. Jewell then drove to another residence in McClenny where she was going to babysit other children as well. So when she arrived, she went inside the home, leaving the infant in the car, the sheriff's office said. It wasn't until the baby's mother arrived in the afternoon at around 1 p.m. to pick up her child that Jewel realized she had left the infant in the car, the sheriff's office said. Someone called 911 and first responders rushed to the scene. The baby was transported to a local hospital where she was pronounced dead. Oh, Jewel was subsequently arrested for aggravated manslaughter of a child and taken to the Baker County Detention Center in McClenny. She had an initial court appearance on Thursday morning, and the judge set her bond at $25,000 with GPS monitoring upon release, according to the sheriff's office. It was unclear whether Jewel had entered a plea or hired a defense attorney. The judge also ordered Jewel to have no contact with the victim's family and to turn in her passport to the sheriff's office. A state prosecutor had asked for Jewel to have no bond, but the judge said that wouldn't be fair because it's not a murder charge. Meanwhile, Jewel's family members requested the judge take into account her lifelong ties to Baker County and lack of a criminal history. Quote, As sheriff, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the magnitude of the tragedy felt throughout our county yesterday, Baker County Sheriff Scotty Roden said in a statement via Facebook on Thursday. Quote, At approximately 1 p.m., the Baker County Sheriff's Office received a 911 call that no law enforcement office ever wants to receive. As the events after that phone call unfolded, our department had to work a case that was tragic and deserved privacy. End quote. The sheriff's office decided to wait a day before releasing a statement on the incident quote, due to the nature of the tragedy and respect for the victim's family and our entire community, according to Roden, who noted that it's department protocol to post the information on social media upon making an arrest. He said, as the sheriff of a small community, posting the details of this tragedy is very hard for me. Each of us are given the gift of life every morning we wake up and every evening when we finish our day. We are blessed if our family is safe and healthy. In the blink of an eye, our world can be turned upside down. Please be mindful of this when trying to understand the tragedy that took place in our small town yesterday. End quote. The heat index value, which is a measure of how hot it really feels when relative humidity is combined with the air temperature, soared past 100 degrees Fahrenheit in Jacksonville on Wednesday amid a relentless heat wave that continues to plague a swath of the United States. Where I am in Missouri, it is the same. The National Weather Service issued an excessive heat warning for the Jacksonville area, including McClenny on Friday. With the heat index values expected to reach 115 degrees. You don't want any part of that Florida humidity and heat, I'm telling you. But I still really have a hard time believing people just forget their children in the backseat of a car like that. I mean, it's not her child, but 
an infant that she was in charge of. I don't know. I just, that's something I can't hardly wrap my mind around. But anyway. So the next one comes out of New Zealand, and it is from iStuffCo.nz. And the title reads, Five Things We Learned During Lauren Dickinson's First Week of Trial. And then it says, graphic content. Some readers may find parts of this reporting upsetting. So the trial of a woman accused of the murder of her three children has concluded its first week. Oh, yes, I remember because they said that this reminded them of some of the murdering mother stuff I cover. So South African doctor Lauren Ann Dickinson, 43, denies charges of murdering her twin daughters, Maya and Carla, too, and uh, their older sister, Liane, I believe, six on the night of September 16th, 2021 in Timaru. The Christchurch jury will have to decide if she murdered the three children in cold blood or if she was insane at the time or experiencing a, quote, disease of the mind as a result of childbirth. What? But they were already two. Here are five things we know from the first week of the trial set down for three weeks. So this is, it says, the Crown's angry mother versus defense's depressive episode. When Crown Prosecutor Andrew McRae opened over the course of two hours on Monday, he outlined a mother who snapped at her children misbehaving and went about killing them in a clinical manner. She then attempted to take her own life, she said. Quote, the Crown says there was an anger here in the killing of her children. There is no medical defense here. It is murder. She knew it was morally wrong and continued on that course. End quote. Responding in her brief opening, Dickinson's lawyer, Karen Beaton KC, said on the night of the killings, her client was experiencing, quote, a major depressive episode of such severity that not only did she think she had to kill herself, she thought she had to take her girls with her, end quote. Side note, isn't it convenient how they never die, though, right? Oh, I'm going to take my kids with me. You go first. Sorry, that's very unprofessional. Quote, those close to her were worried about her, but tragically no one recognized quite how unwell she was. End quote, Beaton said. So Graham's account of the fateful night on Tuesday, Graham Dickinson's police interview was played to the court in which he recounted coming home from a work dinner on the night of September 16th, finding his wife in a disoriented state and his three children's lifeless bodies tucked into their beds with cable ties around their necks. Quote, I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I ran back and asked her what she's done, he said. Through an audiovisual link from South Africa, Graham recalled returning to his mother's home in South Africa after the death of his children, where he found cable ties strung together among belongings left behind while they were packing. Dickinson had struggled with depression since the age of 15, he confirmed. So maybe this is out of South Africa. I apologize. The three incidents of wanting to harm the children. So Graham told McRae of Dickinson having anxiety attacks while the twins were still young. And soon before they got to New Zealand, evidence which left Dickinson sobbing in court as she listened. The incidents happened in May of 2019, July 2021, and August 2021, Graham said. In the three attacks, she spoke of harming the children. 
In the attack in July, she spoke of sedating the children and cutting their femoral arteries. Ooh. So Lauren's deteriorating mental health during Graham's cross-examination. So in cross, from the defense, Graham confirmed that Lauren's mental health had worsened in the months leading up to the children's deaths. Riots and looting in South Africa, planning to emigrate, staying in quarantine, and difficulty adjusting to small-town Timaru all culminated in stress for the family, and Lauren in particular, he said. The couple endured 17 rounds of IVF and one miscarriage before having Leanne in 2014 and twins in 2018, he confirmed, which played a role in her ongoing depression. Over 900 messages on Lauren's phone were read to the jury on Friday afternoon. They outline a woman at times, struggling to cope with motherhood and misbehaving children, but also included positive notes where she professed her love for them. In the week of their deaths, Lauren said she hated living in New Zealand, where the rental properties she was shown were disgusting, quote-unquote, and the people unkempt. I really want to come back. This is not going to work for me. Don't apply for NZ. They are so full of crap, end quote. I don't know why that's part of the article. I don't think New Zealand is crap. But anyway, again, super sad. It, it makes you think, you know, we're, we're kind of quick to go, well, whatever. She had all that IVF and everything, clearly wanted children very badly. And then for it to end like this, I don't know. That's a tough one. So our next one comes from KIRO7.com, and the title is Official Say. Three suitcases with human remains found. Police release description of victim, as in singular, in three suitcases, coming out of Delray Beach, Florida. So police are investigating after multiple suitcases appeared in Delray Beach, Florida, with human remains inside on Friday. In a news release, the Delray Beach Police Department said on Friday, just after 4 p.m., officers received a call about a suspicious item in the water near the Intracoastal Waterway by the 1000 block of Palm Trail in Delray Beach. So then there was an update at 5.12 p.m. July 23rd. The Delray Beach Police Department released more information about the victim whose remains were found in three suitcases in Intracoastal Waterway. Police said the remains appeared to be from one woman, the Sun Sentinel reported. They were taken to the medical examiner's office. Detectives said the female victim was likely middle-aged with brown hair, according to WPEC. According to Ted White, a spokesperson for the Delray Beach Police Department, the woman was approximately 5 feet 4 inches tall and was wearing a floral tank top with a black undershirt and black mid-thigh shorts, the Sun Sentinel reported. She may have had tattooed eyebrows, White said. Well, that's, I mean, microblading is a thing. Uh, when officers arrived in the area, they found the suitcase originally that had human remains inside. Soon after, two other suitcases were located that also had human remains inside. Those suitcases were found near Southeast 7th Avenue and Casarina Road, according to police. So the investigation is in its early stages, but investigators determined that the remains belong to a woman who has not yet been identified. The victim's remains were taken to the medical examiner's office, and it is not yet clear who brought the remains to the area or how they even got there. 
Yikes. So then the next case comes from the BBC.com. And the title reads, Mental Health Care Failures in Triple Killer Case. So, mental health care failings saw a man released from custody before he killed three people a report has found. The multi-agency report detailed how Alexander Lewis Ranwell had set fire to a hospital ward containing other patients before he was released. Staff, who described it as a, quote, hostage-taking incident, said police declined to attend until normal working hours as it, quote, was not urgent and he was safe. Devon and Cornwall police said it had acted on the learning from the review. Lewis Ranwell, referred to as Mr. A in the review, was a paranoid schizophrenic who had been sectioned twice previously, sectioned meaning kind of taken in custody. Despite concerns about his behavior, Lewis Ranwell was arrested and released on police bail twice in the 48 hours before killing three elderly men in Exeter in February of 2019. He was later found not guilty of murder due to insanity. So as far as the hostage-taking incident goes, the review, jointly commissioned by NHS England and the Torbay and Devon Safeguarding Adults Partnership, was released on Tuesday. It stated, quote, There were visible gaps in the way the system worked in a joined-up way that allowed Mr. A to be released when his mental state was relapsing, end quote. The report detailed how on June 16, 2016, Lewis Ranwell set fire to a wardrobe in his North Devon hospital room. When the fire alarms sounded, quote, he blocked the exit from the ward and then barricaded himself and other patients into the ward lounge in what staff called a hostage-taking incident. Police did not attend at the time of the incident as Mr. A was in a safe place. That's what they said. The report says that's what they said. And then it says insufficient follow-up. So six weeks later, a consultant contacted police claiming the incident was, quote, premeditated and calculated despite Mr. A suffering from psychotic symptoms at the time. The consultant said Lewis Ranwell, quote, would learn that he would get away with such behavior if criminal proceedings did not follow. But the report said there was insufficient follow-up with the police by trust staff about any criminal charges. The review also detailed how, at one point, a hospital changed Lewis Ranwell's diagnosis without explanation in his records and released him twice into the community without oversight of his long-term needs. When Louis Ranwell moved to France in 2017, Devon NHS Partnership Trust discharged him from mental health aftercare without evidence he no longer needed aftercare and against the Mental Health Act Code of Practice. The report concluded that it was the combination of these elements that led to his release from police custody in February of 2019, where he had been held for wounding a farmer with a saw. It was then that health staff made decisions based on incomplete knowledge of Mr. A's mental health history. The report added that the forensic medical examiner had to assess what was before him. The lack of access to previous history seems to make protecting the public and caring for or treating a man such as Mr. A incredibly difficult for those charged with that duty. 
The review also looked at systems in place for health care services provided to detainees, which it said were commonly outsourced to independent health care providers. So in Devon and Cornwall, custody health care is delivered by G4S, which includes a health care professional who may be a registered nurse or paramedic and forensic medical examiners who are available on call. The report writers made 17 recommendations, including improving access to clinical history and other agency records. So Paul Northcott, independent chair of TDSAP, said that there had been a, quote, clear commitment by the agencies involved in these tragic cases to address the learning identified in the report and improve frontline operational practices, end quote. Mr. Northcott said many of the changes had already been implemented. So... Skipping on, it says Court of Appeal. The review has been published as Lewis Ranwell awaits a judgment following a Court of Appeal hearing last month. He is seeking compensation for alleged failures, claiming he should have been assessed under the Mental Health Act while in custody, and if that had happened, he would not have been released and would not have killed his victims. He claims the four agencies were negligent for not having him assessed under the Act. That's interesting, guys. What do you think about that one? That's an interesting case. I don't know. Tell me what you think. And so the next one, um, I just wanted to tell you guys that I am not shirking my duties to (laughs) kind of cover the updates and stuff going on with the uh, Long Island serial killer, which is now the Gilgo Beach suspect, Rex Hewerman. I'm not shirking my duties. The, The situation is that we've caught him. We know it's him allegedly, supposedly, right? Whatever. But he, they're finding that he has other properties. They're having to excavate. They're having to look at all these things. So I don't want to get in a rush just to try to beat other content creators, people like me, because there's so much information coming out so fast, so much, so fast. And I just don't want to, I kind of want them to get the pieces all put together. And then I am going to cover it. I assure you. But anyway, this comes from the New York Post, and it says Gilgo Beach suspect Rex Hewerman may have killed victim in soundproof room, cops using cadaver dogs to search yard. So cops allegedly found a soundproof room in the accused Gilgo Beach killer's basement and think at least one victim was killed there. It was revealed Sunday as police used cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar to scour his backyard. A former co-worker told the Post that suspected serial murderer Rex Hewerman, 59, once took time off from his job as a Manhattan architect to install a concrete-lined vault at his family's Long Island home. It is not clear if that basement compartment is the one cop's suspect could have been a killing chamber or whether it is possibly the space previously reported to hold Hewerman's up to 300 guns. But, quote, it's not just a hidden room. It's a serious vault, an ex-colleague said. It had a huge, heavy-duty safe door. He went and poured new concrete walls, massive amount of concrete, to encase this room, end quote. They are saying it may be two to three feet thick. 
So New York State troopers and Suffolk County investigators have been searching his home for the 11 days since the hulking married man of two, hulking meaning big. So this guy, if you've seen pictures of him being arrested and removed from where they found him, he, it's giving, it's very much giving Edmund Kemper. This dude is well, well above six foot tall. He is a big guy. But anyway, so... The hulking married dad of two was charged in the deaths of three women and named the prime suspect in a slaying of a fourth, all part of the infamous 13-year-old Gilgo Four murders. Quote, this guy is a wacko. Robert Musto, 64, a retired Long Island railroad worker and longtime neighbor, told the Post on Sunday referring to Hewerman. Quote, he's got a soundproof room in his basement. What do you think that was for? He told the cops at the scene. Quote, they're saying there's evidence he killed at least one of the girls down there. The cops are going to dig all that out. Said they are focused on the soundproof room in the basement, but they're going to look at everything. End quote. Then we have a list of victims. But like I said, I am definitely going to cover this. I'm just sort of letting the dust settle a bit because I just like to have very clear and concise information where I can. So anyway, and then on to the next one. It comes from cbsnews.com. Title is Pastor Charged with Murder in Cold Case of Eight-Year-Old Delco Girl. Coming from Media, Pennsylvania. An arrest was made Monday in a more than 40-year-old murder case in Maple Township, Delaware County. David Zanstra, 83, of Marietta, Georgia, was charged with multiple offenses, including criminal homicide and first-degree murder in the killing of eight-year-old Gretchen Harrington in Marple Township, I'm sorry, in 1975. Officials say Zandretta confessed to the killing in an interview last week. He was still working as a pastor in Georgia at the time of his arrest. The case sent shockwaves through Brumall and Marble Township in 1975. People and church members who searched for the little eight-year-old Harrington said her disappearance destroyed the belief their community was safe. In 1975, Joanne Namavong was a teenager who helped search for little Gretchen. Quote, they had us, like, spread our, out our arms and get a distance so that we would have a row of people arm-to-arm -arm searching so we didn't miss one spot, End quote. Monday's announcement publicly identified Zanstra, a reverend at Harrington's church, as the man responsible for her murder. In 1975, he was a reverend at Trinity Chapel on Lawrence Road. Prosecutors say Harrington left home the morning of August 15, 1975, to walk to Bible school. Her late father kept watch as she walked up Lawrence Road. But, alas, once out of his view, investigators say Zanstra then invited Harrington into his car. It's alleged now 48 years later, he confessed to asking her to take off her clothes. She refused, and court papers say he then beat her to death, dumping her remains in an area of Ridley Creek State Park. Prosecutors say Zantra was a family friend and even helped search for her as hundreds aided to help find the little girl. Boy, that's just Delphi all over, isn't it? Zanstra even presided at, at the eight-year-old's funeral, according to sources, Whoa! 
quote, he killed this poor eight-year-old girl he knew and who trusted him, and then he acted as if he was a family friend, not only during her burial and funeral, but for years, Delaware County District Attorney Jack Stolsteimer, Stolsteimer said. Investigators say in recent years, another possible suspect was eliminated from consideration, and a confidential informant came forward saying she saw Harrington get into a car along Lawrence Road. State police revived the investigation in 2017. So, quote, we have to realize that most people in this world are good and that most pastors, especially people who claim to be men of God, are good people. But there have always been people and there will always be people who are this cold-hearted, remorseless, and just evil people. Thank God there is law enforcement here to hold them accountable, and however long this takes, we're going to do it because this young lady should be alive. What happened to her is just horrendous, end quote. So Zanster remains in jail in Georgia, where he is fighting his extradition to Pennsylvania, a process that could take as long as two months. The Harrington family said in a statement, quote, Even now, when people share memories of her, the first thing they talk about is how amazing she was and still is at just eight years old, end quote. So officials say Zanstra moved around to churches, including in Plano, Texas, Marietta, Georgia, and is currently being investigated for other potential instances of child sex abuse. Court documents do not list an attorney for Zanstra. Marple Township Police Chief Brandon Grafe said the case shattered the idea of Marble being a safe place. Quote, it changed everything for the kids, for the parents, for the families, for everybody, because nobody could do anything anymore in the innocence that they used to do it. Marple Township Police Chief Brandon Grafe said. So, well, I'm certainly glad that he has been apprehended and all of that, but oh, just, mm-mm. So our next one comes from Sky News, or news.sky.com, and the title reads, Kidnapped 13-Year-Old Girl Rescued After Holding Help Me Note in Captor's Car. So, the girl who was rescued in California had allegedly been taken by the suspect three days earlier in Texas, who had then driven to the other state. So a kidnapped 13-year-old girl has been rescued in California after holding up a handwritten note in her captor's parked car saying, quote, help me, that was with an exclamation point. A good Samaritan saw the young girl waving the crumpled piece of paper in the city of Long Beach on, the, on July 9th, I'm sorry, and immediately called 911. Police then arrested a 61-year-old suspect, Stephen Robert Sablin, who is facing kidnapping and other charges. The vehicle had been in a car park of a laundrette, which the alleged captor was using at the time, the reports said. So they were at a laundromat, in a parking lot, at a laundromat. The girl, who was seized from Texas three days earlier and driven to Long Beach, was believed to have been taken inside the premises by him at one point before the rescue. Touch Vong, who works at East Wash Laundromat, told NBC News she had a bad feeling when she saw the man with the child. Quote, he looked down at me, said Miss Vong, who described the man as scary and immediately thought something was not right. She said the woman who called the police was a customer of hers who told her the girl needed help. It said the victim was visibly emotional and distressed. 
Officers responded and found the visibly emotional and distressed girl, is what it said. So Miss Vong added, quote, I'm shocked, but happy because the police rescued her. I just want her and her family now to be happy and safe, end quote. The victim had been taken near a bus stop in San Antonio, Texas, on July 6th. The suspect approached her in a vehicle, pointed a gun at her, and demanded that she get in, according to the police. Officers said the girl was sexually assaulted, oh god, I was hoping not, while she was taken to California and they found a replica firearm in the vehicle. Sablin was indicted on Thursday on charges of kidnapping and transportation of a minor with intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, said the U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles. The suspect of Cleburne, Texas, was being held at the Federal Metropolitan Detention Center in Los Angeles. I don't understand why people cannot just leave kids alone on so many levels. Just fucking leave kids alone, okay? I'm just done. And so our last article comes to us from Canada, the Expositor, Expositor, out of Canada. This one was sent to me by another beloved listener. You know who you are. Um, in particular, because she and I both hate this person. But anyway, so Canadians angry over Bernardo's transfer have a liberal government law to blame, conservatives say. How Paul Bernardo's move to a medium security prison renewed an old legal debate over just two words. Coming out of Ottawa. The federal conservatives say Canadians angry over Paul Bernardo's move to a medium security prison have a liberal government to blame. Leader Pierre, not going to butcher his last name, points to a bill passed in 2019 that sought to end solitary confinement, which also amended the law governing Canada's prisons to stipulate inmates should be held in the, quote, least restrictive environment, end quote. The liberal legislation reversed a change conservatives had made seven years earlier, restoring language that had been there from the beginning. The debate over that phrasing was not new then, either. Just ask Mary Campbell, one of the minds behind the law that governs Canada's prison system. Over her almost 30-year career, Campbell said she recalled once being asked by a formal federal government about whether there was a way to adjust the language, quote, I was tasked with finding some words other than least restrictive, said Campbell, a lawyer who retired from her role as Director General of the Corrections and Criminal Justice Directorate in the Public Safety Department in 2013, quote, and I actually spent a lot of time perusing dictionaries, end quote. Campbell said regardless of the wording that is used, the language speaks to a fundamental and constitutionally protected principle of the justice system that governments cannot escape. Quote, it's on the same level as innocent until proven guilty. End quote. I don't really think that's on the same level. Ann Kelly, the commissioner of the Federal Correctional Service, repeatedly referred to the quote, least restrictive principle in the review she released into its decision to transfer Bernardo from a maximum security, security penitentiary in Ontario to a medium security prison in Quebec. Bernardo is serving an indeterminate life sentence for the kidnapping, sexual assault, and murders of teenagers Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey in the early 90s and has been designated a dangerous offender. 
Those of you who might not be familiar with who he is, him and his girlfriend, Carla Homolka, I believe is how it's pronounced, and I covered them a long time ago, were sort of a killing duo. And she's out, by the way. If you guys didn't know, she's she been out. So when the liberal government amended the Correctional and Conditional Release Act in 2019, a law created by Brian Mulroney's progressive conservatives, their addition of the term least restrictive was a reversal of a change made by the conservative government of former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. So back in 2012, Harper's majority government fulfilled an election promise by passing a crime bill that ushered in a slew of tough-on-crime measures, including mandatory minimum sentences for certain drug offenses, violent crimes, and crimes committed against children. Well, I'm all for upping the punishments for crimes against children. Critics of the omnibus bill panned it because they said it was likely to lead to an increase of the prison population and risk filling cells with more indigenous people and other marginalized Canadians while failing to deliver on a promise to improve public safety, all at a higher cost to taxpayers. One of the changes Harper's bill made was to adjust the phrasing of corrections law away from saying officials should use, quote, the least restrictive measures consistent with the protection of the public, staff members, and offenders, end quote. Conservatives instead brought in language that said offenders should be kept in prisons with the necessary restrictions and federal corrections should use measures, quote, limited to only what is necessary and proportionate, end quote. And I don't really want to go, like, we're not doing politics here. That's not what we do. But regardless, he's been moved to medium security. As long as he's not out, you know, let the general population deal with him. I mean, they will. It's whatever. So that is all the articles that I have for you guys today for this fabulous Monday morning murder in the news. I have toyed with making a mid or end week international murder in the news, maybe separate so that we can listen to our bullshit and then we can listen to the rest of the world's bullshit. (laughs) But regardless, um, so yeah, the week has started. We're here. We're in this together. At least we got through July, right? So July and August are the hottest months of the year in the Northern hemisphere. And all I can say is come on end of September. Have a great week guys. Hang in there. All right. Love ya.